Thank you, Pastor Johnny. It is always an honor to be able to uh, be with Pastor Johnny, my mentor and my friend, and just in so many ways, just a great uh, example to so many of us. It's an honor to be able to be here at this conference. Uh, for some of us that uh, have been Southern Baptists for a long, long time, it's, it's kind of hard to believe we're actually at a conference like this where we're seeing multicultural, multi-generational, different philosophies of ministry all in one place around the same mission, worshiping God together. This is it's an exciting day. And uh, Kevin, thank you so much for allowing me to be here. It's just an honor to be able to come. If my eyes are a little bit bloodshot, I know this is a church planning conference, but no, I've not been drinking, all right? I uh, am from Las Vegas. It's 5.45 in the morning where I live. I don't know. I know the North American Mission Board says they have a heart for the pioneer areas, but it's hard for me to believe that this morning, given the only West Coast guy, the 8.30 a.m. slot. Um, but it is good to be here. I saw some of my West Coast brothers over here. Anybody from the West Coast in here this morning? Yeah, come on now. I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in Christ in the West Coast, specifically your brothers and sisters in Christ in Las Vegas. Now, maybe you didn't know you had any brothers and sisters in Christ in Las Vegas, but you do. God is alive and at work in our city, and it's just an honor to be here representing them in this special, special occasion. Uh, let me say a word of prayer and let's dive in together. Lord Jesus, we need you. We need you to speak to us. God, we need your word. Lord, we do not, we really don't need another conference or another sermon. Most of us in this room have heard more sermons and been to more conferences than most of your children in the world ever get an opportunity to be a part of. Lord, what we really need is a fresh outpouring of your spirit. God, would you do something that transcends us? Transcends our strategies and our abilities and our gifts. Lord, would you do what only you can do? God, I read this morning in your word that your voice is powerful. Your voice is majestic. Your voice breaks the cedars. God, today we don't need to hear our voices. We need to hear your voice. Speak to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In September of 1999, God interrupted my life. I was minding my own business. I was in my living room in my home in Memphis, Tennessee, serving with my dad as the senior associate pastor at a great church there, Kirby Woods Baptist Church. Got a real missions heart. Uh, just, just doing my thing in ministry, just following the Lord. And I was having my quiet time, and I opened my Bible to Luke chapter 4. And in Luke chapter 4, I read a verse that forever changed my life. Jesus simply said this. He said, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. And it's one of those verses I probably read it a hundred times, but when I read it that morning, it was like what I read in Psalms this morning. The voice of the Lord was powerful. It broke my heart, and I didn't really even know why it broke my heart. 
that phrase, the kingdom of God and other cities just leapt off the page. And I went and grabbed my wife and we prayed and we just said, Lord, yes. We don't know where, we don't know when, but the answer is yes. We really thought we were headed to China or Africa or India. Two weeks later, Pastor Johnny cornered me. I had him come speak at an event and Pastor Johnny cornered me. I'll never forget it, right outside the bathroom. I don't know why it was right outside the bathroom, but we had this divine appointment right there. And he said, Vance, God's called us to plant a church in Las Vegas, Nevada. I believe you're to be the pastor of that church. When he said it, I knew in my heart that's what God was saying. But I got to be honest, when he said Las Vegas, you couldn't have picked a place that was further off my radar than Las Vegas, Nevada was. I grew up in Alabama. When you're from Alabama, you don't go to Las Vegas. And when you do, you don't tell anybody, right? I know. I've seen your church members in my town. Yeah, I know exactly what goes on. They're not getting me to sign their bulletin either to bring it home to you and let you know they were in church, right? But I knew God had called us there. But that phrase, the kingdom of God, just began to resonate in my heart. And I didn't even understand everything about the kingdom of God. It, it set me on a journey of exploring and understanding the kingdom. And I began to just dig into the scripture. And I couldn't believe how often that phrase was repeated over and over again. As a matter of fact, over 100 different times in 16 different books of the New Testament, the Bible addresses the subject, the kingdom of God. I would submit to you this morning, if Jesus says something one time, we need to pay attention to it. If he mentions it two or three times in the Bible, we better take it very seriously. But are you kidding me? 100 different references and 16 different books of the New Testament. What is the kingdom of God? Well, for sake of time, I want to give you just quickly a definition of the kingdom of God. Here it is. The kingdom of God is God's sovereign activity in the world resulting in people being in right relationship with himself. That's the kingdom of God. It's God's sovereign activity in the world, resulting in people being in right relationship with himself. And here's the principle. God is alive and at work all over the world. I know it's early. It's a lot earlier for me than it is for you, but I want you to hear what I just said. God is alive and at work all over the world. Amen? Listen, have you forgotten that this thing called Christianity is moving somewhere? It's not just going to go on like it is forever and ever right here where we're, we're experiencing, right? I mean, we're not just building buildings and raising budgets and starting new churches and expanding these ministries. That's not what it's going to always be like. This thing called Christianity is moving towards a grand climax. The Bible says one day the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. It could happen today. I pray that it would. The Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we'll always be with the Lord. Then the Bible says around the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ, there are going to be men and women from every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation. And the Bible says there, he's made them to be a kingdom. It's all moving towards a grand climax where we are forever in heaven, the kingdom of God, worshiping King Jesus. This is the whole story of the New Testament. 
In Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, we see this principle begin to be fleshed out. Up until I moved to Las Vegas, if you'd asked me, what's the book of Acts about? I'd have said the book of Acts is about the local church. It's about the birth of the local church, the growth of the local church, the expansion of the local church. Did you know that's not what the book of Acts is about? Let me show it to you. Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, and then we're going to get to text. Acts chapter 1 and verse 3 says, To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Did you hear it? Jesus, for 40 days, his last 40 days physically on planet Earth, he's here, and the Bible says with his disciples, he makes appearances, but he only talks about one thing for 40 days. For 40 days, all he talks about is the kingdom of God. Then you go to the very end of the book of Acts. The last two verses of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28, verse 30, says, speaking of Paul, He stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God. The book of Acts opens with Jesus for 40 days talking about one subject, the kingdom of God. The book of Acts closes with Paul in prison and house arrest in Rome for two years talking about one thing, the kingdom of God. The opening and closing verses of the the book of Acts teach us this principle of the kingdom. And in the middle of that, we see the birth of the local church. You say, where does all that fit together? Here's how it fits together the local church is the gathering place to teach people about the king to disciple them in kingdom living and to send them out for the expansion of God's kingdom to the ends of the earth the local church is a temporary tool established by Jesus for the expansion of the kingdom of God and we've taken our eyes off of the kingdom of God and so focused it on the local church that we've lost sight of the big picture And we've lost sight of why the church was born in the first place. Well, what is this idea, the big picture of God's activity in the kingdom of God, how does that connect to a church plant? Well, I want you to take your Bible and just in the minutes that we have remaining, turn to Philippians chapter 4. And I want to read you just quickly some verses that are verses written to a church plant. Paul had planted this church in Philippi. And Paul, 10 years after it had been planted, is writing back to them. And I want you to listen to what he says. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 15. He says, You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I've received everything in full and have an abundance. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Then the verse every church planner loves. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. How many times have we prayed that? In our church planning scenarios. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I want to give you a couple of truths here out of these verses. I'm not going to tell you how many because I only got a few minutes of time and I may not get to all of them. So I don't want you to to leave and think I didn't get that last one. So I just got a few. I'll just give you the ones I can get to. Here's the first one. When God births a church, it's always about something bigger. 
when God births a church, it's always about something bigger. The Bible here says, and and we understand from the context, that Paul had traveled to the city of Philippi. You can read about it in Acts chapter 16. And Paul planted this church. He went there and he preached the gospel. He began to engage this city. He went to where the people were and through the proclamation of the gospel, first Lydia came to Christ and then a demon-possessed slave girl came to Christ and then they were imprisoned and a a jailer there in Philippi came to Christ. And here you got the nucleus of this brand new church in Philippi, this demon-possessed slave girl, this businesswoman and this jailer. Sounds like a great core group, amen? This church is born, and Paul writes to them here in these verses in verse 15, and he calls it something interesting. He says, you Philippians, you know at the first preaching of the gospel. The word first here is a word that literally means the beginning. And Paul is here saying to them, I want you to understand something. When I came and preached the gospel and you came to Christ and the church was founded and you begin to meet together and pray together and worship together and establish ministries and care for one another and meet each other's needs. Paul says that wasn't the the end. Paul says that was just the beginning. He says the church being born is not the finish line. The church being born is the starting line. Too many times today we think the goal is the church. The goal is not the church. The church is simply the starting line. The church being born, the church being planted, the church being established is just the beginning. You see, when God births a church, he always has something bigger in mind. In 2001, God called my family to Las Vegas to be involved in planting a church. And we were there for about 10 or 11 months on the field, engaging culture, making disciples, developing a core And then our church launched two weeks after 9-11, 2001. When God birthed our church, it was never just about what was happening in our city. When God birthed our church, it wasn't just, and I tell our people this all the time, it wasn't just so we could have a place we could come together and worship and hear the word of God and meet each other's needs and care for one another and pray for each other. When God birthed our church, he had the nations on his heart. It was always bigger than just one church. We're living in the greatest days in the history of Christianity to be alive. Did you know that there are more people coming to faith in Jesus Christ today on a daily basis than at any other single time in human history? You didn't hear me. If you heard me, you'd have said something. There are more people coming to faith in Jesus Christ today on a daily basis globally than at any other single time in human history. You don't get it. Here's what I want you to hear. When God called you into ministry, when God placed you in that setting to birth a new church, it wasn't so you could establish a platform to write a book and speak at conferences. When God brought you into the kingdom of God, it was to use that fellowship as a launching pad to join in the bigger picture of what God is doing in the world that is going to wind up one day around the throne of Jesus with people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation on their faces before him singing worthy is the lamb that was slain you know what that means that means every church is a big deal because every church is connected to something that's bigger 
You realize today in China, in China they're averaging about 40,000 people a day that are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. 40,000? Did you know that in the country of Iran, more Iranians have come to Christ since 1979 than in the previous 1,000 years combined? I'm talking about Iran and Africa. The statistics in Africa, the, the explosion of the gospel. In 1900, there were less than 9 million Christians in Africa. Today, there are over 470 million believers on the continent of Africa. Al Jazeera is that broadcasting network that produces the broadcasts of the terrorists all over the world. Al Jazeera broadcasts out of a nation there in the Middle East. And there was an interview that was done on the Al Jazeera network interviewing Libyan sheikh Ahmed al-Khatani, and he stated this quote in Africa. Now, this is not a Southern Baptist quote, all right? Lifeway didn't put this stat out. It's a Muslim sheikh on Al Jazeera television. In Africa, every hour, 667 Muslims convert to Christianity. Every day, 16,000 Muslims convert to Christianity. And every year, 6 million Muslims convert to Christianity. Here's what I want you to hear me say. God is alive and at work all over the world. And he, at this particular moment, has brought us into the kingdom of God for such a time as this. What an incredible privilege that God would allow us to be leaders in churches that are engaging the nations for the glory of God in the greatest harvest in human history. When God births a church, it's always bigger than just that church. Listen to me, church planner. You may have a little core group meeting in a house somewhere. But you're a part of something big. You see, you and I are not just members of a church. We are citizens of a kingdom. And it is alive and expanding all over the world. Let me give you the second truth this morning. When God births a church, He invites us to join in His kingdom activity. The Bible says here in verse 15, Paul says to them, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. The word shared there is an interesting word. It's, it's the Greek word, you know it, koinonia. It means fellowship, right? And I know when we use that word, we immediately start thinking coffee pots and casseroles, right? That's fellowship, but that's not what the New Testament word implies. The New Testament word here implies a partnering or sharing or involving in the life of somebody else. You see, this church at Philippi had been planted by Paul and they got it. They understood that when God birthed them as a fellowship, it was God's invitation for them to join in something that was bigger than them. When God birthed your church, it was God's invitation for you to lead them to join in something that was bigger. Say, how do we do that? How do we take church plants? How do we take local churches and engage them in the nations? Well, there are 
many ways we could answer that question. I want to give you just a couple out of these verses. Number one, every church plant should cultivate a heart for the kingdom by praying. The church at Philippi was a praying church. Some of the greatest verses in all the Bible are on prayer are found in this little letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. In this very chapter, we read the verses where Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that passes all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Great verses on prayer. As you read this letter, you understand they prayed for Paul. Paul prayed for them. From day one in the fellowship of a church, we should begin to engage the nations through the vehicle prayer. You say, does prayer really make a difference? You better believe it makes a difference. I don't know where you are theologically, and it really doesn't matter. The Bible says pray. (laughs) And I don't understand everything I know about it. I believe in a sovereign God who's in total control, but I believe that that sovereign God has chosen to limit his activities to the prayers of his people. You say, explain that. I can. I don't know how. Let me tell you what I do know. My second week in Las Vegas, I got a telephone call. I didn't know anybody in Las Vegas. I didn't hardly know anybody west of the Mississippi River. Are you kidding me? I get a telephone call from a lady from the Philippines. She's, she's in Las Vegas. She's, her name is Letty. And Letty said, Pastor, can I tell you a story? And I said, Letty, I don't know anybody in Las Vegas. You can tell me any story you want to tell me. Now, I've since learned in Las Vegas, you better be careful with that offer. Because <laughs> they'll tell you, and you may not want to know. But here's what Letty said. She said, Pastor, I'm from the Philippines. I moved to Hong Kong to make money for my family. She said, I moved in with an American family and became their housekeeper. She said, I relocated with that family from Hong Kong all the way to a place called Woodstock, Georgia. She said, while living in Woodstock, Georgia, I visited a church called the First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia about six times. I heard a pastor named Johnny Hunt preach the gospel and God radically changed my life. She said, my family then relocated from Woodstock, Georgia to Las Vegas, Nevada. She said, I've been in Las Vegas for a year and a half, and I've prayed every day that the First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia would start a church in Las Vegas, Nevada. She said, Pastor, would would you please tell me what church sent you to Las Vegas? I'm sitting there with my jaw wide open. We've seen over the last 11 years God's favor in an unbelievable way. We've seen close to 3,000 people in that city give their lives to Jesus Christ. We've had the opportunity to plant 16 churches in the western United States. We currently work on four continents around the world. On an annual basis, we're training several thousand national leaders. And people say, they call, man, tell us what you did. (laughs) And I don't say this to be super spiritual. I don't. I'm not trying to be overly humble. I'm just trying to be honest with you. We don't have a clue. All we know is one lady from the Philippines asked God to do something. And for 11 years... We have ridden a wave of the favor of God in response to the prayers of that little lady. Strategists missionally will tell you that the greatest contributing factor to movements of people among unreached people groups is prayer. Let me tell you why we're not reaching our country, why we're not planting churches that are reaching the nations for the glory of God. 
you call this a prayer meeting, and we could seat everybody who'd show up right here. You bring in bands and speakers and lights and trussing and food trucks. Oh, we'll pack it out. Let me tell you what needs to happen. We need to get so broken over this world that we get on our faces before God and recognize we don't have any strategy to offer. Listen, we don't need to plan it and then bring it to Him and say, hey, would you bless it? Listen to me. His plan's better than yours or mine. And the Word says only His plan is from generation to generation. It's time we get on our face before Him and seek Him and beg Him to move mightily. We're not going to change our country through politics. I know what's coming in November. Listen to me, Pastor. That is not our business. There's not a law or a president that's going to change this country. Let me tell you what's going to change this country. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Every church should cultivate a heart by praying. Number two, every church should prioritize. Every church plant should prioritize the kingdom by sending. Rick Warren, I think, was the one who originated the statement. We need to wrap our heads around it. The success of a church is not measured by its seeding capacity. It's measured by its sending capacity. In this text, we read about Epaphroditus. I don't have time to explain him. You can read about him. Let me tell you who Epaphroditus was. He Just quickly, he, he was a guy that just got saved at Philippi. And they took an offering. They needed to send it to Paul. And said, how are we going to get it there? Well, somebody's got to take it. Anybody willing to go? Epaphroditus said, I'll go. You know who Epaphroditus is? He's the first recorded short-term missionary in the history of the church. I don't know if he went for six weeks or six months or six years, but he went for a season, served with Paul, then came back to Philippi. How do you know he came back? He brought the letter. At our church at Hope in Las Vegas, in our membership class, we tell people, if you join our church, we're going to do everything we can to talk you into leaving. We've seen about 300 people that we've sent out of our church to go plant, be involved in planting and working with planters in other parts of the western United States. Last weekend, we commissioned four mission teams, 120 volunteers out of our church going to three different continents to serve the Lord. We welcomed back a family from Thailand that were school teachers in Las Vegas who just spent 12 months teaching and serving on the other side of the world. God has, in the last three years in Las Vegas, ripped our guts out. The economy collapsed, and we had 350 families in a 12-month period in our church that lost their jobs and homes and left Las Vegas. And we can get sad about that. We can go, man, you know, here we are growing by 30% a year, and our numbers and attendance are going backwards. Or we can recognize that God gave us the privilege of discipling people that now he's called out of our city and sent to places all over the world. You need to prioritize the kingdom by sending. And then lastly, you need to invest in the kingdom by giving. 
That's really what this text is all about. And I won't talk about giving. I mean, we're with church planners. I mean, my gosh, we know how to talk about giving. Amen? We can get blood out of a turnip. He closes this passage with verse 20. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Here's the last thing I want to say to you. When God births a church, it's for His glory. As I study the life of Christ, I'm convinced that the most defining mark of His life on earth is humility. Let me, let me say something to all the church planters in the room. We need a revival of humility. Dave Early is a friend of mine. He was the church plant director for Liberty University for a number of years. He's now planting a church in Las Vegas, Nevada. Dave told me, he said, Vance, you know, church planters are like teenagers. They want your money and they want your acceptance, and that's all they want. And I thought it was kind of cute and funny until it broke my heart that it's really true. And it's sad. The spirit of arrogance that exists among our generation of guys that are out there planting. Listen, we ain't figured something out that those before us didn't already know. We're not slicker, sharper, better, faster, more creative, more relevant. And God help us that we don't cross the line of rebellious in our appeal to be relevant. It's not about us. And it's not about growing our churches. It's about expanding His kingdom. And it's time we get our pronouns right and bring ourselves back into submission to the one who's given us the privilege to be involved at all. He does not need us. It's for His glory. That's why the psalmist said, God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear Him. Lord, have Your way. Captivate our hearts today for Your glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.